A moving truck loaded with furniture was parked in front of a home. A husband and wife were in the garage sweeping it out when a neighbor woman from across the street came up the driveway with an apple pie in her hand. She said, welcome to the neighborhood. I baked this myself and I just wanted to give it to you. And the husband said, well, really, we can't accept that. And she said, well, what do you mean? Of course you can. When I moved in here two years ago, nobody welcomed me to the neighborhood. And I want you to feel at home. She put the pie into his hands and he said, well, you see, uh, we've been here for five years and we're moving out. <laughs> so the woman looked at him dumbfounded with her mouth opened and she said, well, enjoy it anyway. That could happen in a lot of neighborhoods these days, I think. It could happen in some churches, not this one. I think we all know one another. Some of us could know some folks a little better than we do, but I think we all know each other. Somewhere along the way in our crowded, impersonal world, sometimes I think we've lost a sense of community, a sense of neighborliness. Neighborhoods are, so many neighborhoods are so different than they used to be. Of course, some people don't want to be neighborly. A man went to his priest to say that he felt that there was a lack of friendliness among members of his congregation, and so he, he thought that people didn't greet one another in church, and the priest agreed, and so he said that he had a plan that he was going to change that. And so the next week during Mass, he explained the situation to the congregation, and he said that beginning next Sunday, there would be a brief pause to allow parishioners to turn and to say hello and to greet the people sitting behind them with a friendly hello. After the service that morning, the same man turned around to a woman behind him and said, good morning, and she looked at him and she was in shock and she said, that doesn't start until next Sunday. <laughs> she obviously wasn't quite ready to be friendly yet, but I guess she was gonna spend the week getting ready. In his book on being a friend, Dr. Eugene Kennedy, who, was, who is a psychology professor, listed several reasons why he felt that Americans find it difficult to form friendships. He gave some reasons like high mobility, people move around a lot, rapidly changing social conditions, and an obsession with superficial things of life. But Dr. Kennedy wrote that the main in his opinion, the main cause of unfriendliness is the emphasis that society seems to put on self. He believes that many Americans are unwilling to make the effort or the sacrifices necessary in forming close and lifelong relationships, and so we're kind of missing that a lot these days. I fear that Dr. Kennedy may be at least partially right. In fact, let's ask ourselves an important question. How many close friends do I have? Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer the question. I see some close friends just looked at each other and smiled. That was nice. Very nice. I'm not going to ask you to answer the question today, but think about it. I'm not trying to get personal, but it's kind of a big deal. 
We need friends. Do you have people that you can turn to in a time of difficulty? In a time of need? And you know, without a doubt, that they will be there for you. Close friends are an important part of our lives. How sad it would be to get to the end of this life and realize that we never had a single close friend. How many of you seen the movie Driving Miss Daisy? Yeah, a lot of heads nodding. Miss Daisy is a Jewish widow living in Atlanta in the 40s. And she needs a chauffeur because she's gotten too old to drive anymore. And she's a spirited, I guess we could say, older woman who is prejudiced against Afro-Americans, although she says she's not. And then the man who is hired, and not by her, by the way, for the job of driving her around is a man named Hoke Coburn. And he's a 60-year-old black man. And the whole movie is about Hoke's 25-year relationship with Miss Daisy. As they learn about each other, they come to appreciate one another more and more as the years go by. And they become very, very close friends. And the final scenes on Thanksgiving Day. Hoke is going to visit Miss Daisy. There are long pauses in between the words and she asks him, how are you? And he says, doing the best I can. She says, me too. And then Hoke sees a piece of Thanksgiving pie on the table that Daisy hasn't eaten yet. She tries to pick up her fork, but she can't do it. And Hoke says, let me help you with this. And he cuts a little piece of pie with the fork and he feeds it to her. She smiles. She nods her thanks. It's a very touching scene. Slowly, Daisy enjoys a simple piece of pie because of Hoke's kindness to her. Hoke cuts another piece for her. There's no more talk. The lights fade and the show is over. There were many things that separated Hoke and Miss Daisy. There's also a bond that united them as time went on. The bond of friendship, the bond of mutual respect. Every human being needs at least one close friend. It's important. It's important for our mental health. It's important for our physical health. It's important for our happiness. According to research, having friends is good for your immune system. Can you imagine that? People who have friends are healthier. They're not sick as often. They live longer. And they're happier. Having friends is important. We seem to have a legacy of longevity in this congregation. I think some of that might be connected to the fact that we have some very strong relationships and friendships within this congregation and some families that are very tight-knit and very close to one another. People who have friends are sick less often than people that don't. Having friends is important. We especially need friends when life is unkind to us. Irma Bombeck defined a friend as somebody who doesn't go on a diet when you're fat. 
I guess that's one definition. A man was accused of a crime that he didn't commit, but he had to go to court to prove his innocence. And many of his former friends shunned him. But one guy who lived out in the country and was unable to come to the trial sent him a letter daily, a letter of encouragement and a letter of support. His name was eventually cleared and he made a trip out to see this friend after the trial was over. And he said, each day, when things seemed to look so bleak, your letter would arrive. Then I would know I had one real friend and fight on. The writer of Ecclesiastes knew how important it is to have a friend when life is unkind to us. In chapter 4 it says, If one falls, he shall be supported by the other. Woe to him who is alone, for when he falls, he has no one to lift him up. Do you have someone who will lift you up when you fall? We all need friends, especially when life is unkind to us. That brings us to our text for the day. Jesus is with his disciples, and he says to them something most intriguing. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard of my Father, I have made them known to you. Did you hear that? Jesus does not call us servants. He calls us friends. I'd rather be his friend. We sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. How do we know that Jesus is our friend? Well, according to our reading... There are two ways, the cross and the church. They both tell us that Jesus is our friend. First of all, the cross tells us he's our friend. A few verses earlier, Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what he did. He laid down his life for us. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that what he said matched what he did. He not only taught us that there's no greater love than a person can have for another than to lay down their life, but he laid down his life. We know that we are his friends. We can see it in the sacrifice that he made for us. Why was he willing to make this sacrifice? Because he believes that we're worth it. Each of us is worth it. There's a story about two boyhood friends. True story. Their names are Johnny and Marty. They both loved baseball. They also loved each other and were very close friends. They were such good friends that at a young age, they made a promise to each other to always play ball together, regardless of what happened. They would let nothing separate them. As time went on, Johnny became a sort of a local star he was a very good player. And his coach called him aside one day and told him about tryouts for the minor leagues. Johnny said, that's great. Marty and I will sign up for tryouts right away. The coach said, no, don't, don't, don't worry about Marty. He's just an ugly duckling. He's too skinny. He's not very athletic. He's too slow. He can't field. He can't hit. Johnny said, I know he can make it if, he, if they'll give him a chance. He's got determination. He can learn to field and he can learn to hit. Well, they agreed to go along with it and they allowed both of them to try out. 
Johnny got a contract, but Marty was cut. Johnny said, nope, won't sign without Marty. So the club gave in and finally gave both of them a contract. He was motivated now, Marty was, by his friend, and he began to improve. And during their third year in the minors, Johnny got tired of it all, washed out, and decided to quit. But Marty hung in there, and he kept working. And he became a rising star, and eventually he was called up to the majors to play for the St. Louis Cardinals as a shortstop. He played in four World Series and seven All-Star games, and in 1944, Marty Marion was named National League MVP. Years earlier, Marty's mom had asked Johnny, why are you so determined to keep this agreement? Johnny said, easy. Belief is a kind of love. I believe in Marty. We're friends. Believing in someone is the best kind of love. Belief is the best kind of love. Christ believes in us. That's the message of the cross. He believes in us so much that he made the ultimate investment in us. He laid down his life. The cross shows us that we are Christ's friends. But there's a second way that we know we're Christ's friends, and that is the church. The church is a community of friends of Jesus. The church is the greatest gift that Jesus gave us besides the gift of eternal life. When he gave us the church, he gave us something special. He gave us membership in a family, and that's what we are here, a family. He gave us a community. That's what we are. We're a community. He gave us friends, and that's what we are. We're friends. So each of you sitting here and those watching should be able to answer my prior question whether you have a friend that you can count on very easily because you ought to have a whole bunch of them. I do. And they're right, some of them are sitting right here in this room. And some, of them, some are watching. Christ chose all of us to be part of his family. He said to us, there's a group of people who will love you if you give them a chance. If we could get this word out to the community, if they could understand this truth, that that's what we are and that's what we're about. We're a group of people who will love you if you give us a chance. We'll be there when you're sick. We'll comfort you when you lose a loved one. We'll comfort you, we'll put our arms around you when life comes to an end. You don't ever have to be alone. And that's where we are. That's where we find ourselves this morning right here in this room, those of you who are watching, you're among friends. You and I have a friend who's closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. He has made us part of his family, his church. No longer do I call you servants, he said, but I call you friends. We do have a friend in Jesus. We can see it in the cross. We can see it in the church. In his biography on Harry Truman, David McCulloch relates a story from the end of Truman's life. Harry Truman, if you know anything about him, was an interesting character. He was the only president to not have a middle name. 
the last one to have owned and worked a farm, and he was one of the few presidents who had not gone to college. During his presidency, he had to make some very difficult decisions, as all presidents do. He left office in 1952, and he moved back to his home in Independence, Missouri, and he became a common citizen. He was a man of routine, and many mornings he would take a walk with his neighbor, who was a Presbyterian minister, and they became friends. The minister tells a story of a cold February day late in Mr. Truman's life. The minister was officiating at a burial service for an elderly gentleman who was from town. It was cold, the wind was blowing, it was snowing, and literally no one showed up for the service. But just before the graveside service began, Mr. Truman's green Chrysler pulled up, driven by a Secret Service agent. Mr. Truman got out, and he slowly walked with a cane up to the graveside. With only him in attendance, the service went quickly. And on the walk back to the car, the minister looked at Truman and he said, Mr. President, why are you here? It's cold, it's bitter, it's snowy. You shouldn't be out. Harry Truman looked at him through his thick glasses and he said, Pastor, I never forget a friend. In that way, Harry Truman was like his Lord. Jesus never forgets his friends. During the invasion of Normandy during World War II, an elite airborne unit parachuted behind enemy lines on the night of June 5th, 1944. Thinking that many of the troops dropped in the darkness might get separated and lost, the commanders gave each soldier a small metal clicker to hold in their hand. And as they crawled through the woods and fields, they would click once or twice and wait for a response. If they heard the sound of another clicker, they knew that a friend was nearby. If I had a clicker for each of you today, I would hand them out and I'd mail them out to you folks at home. And we would click them together as a signal that we are friends together with Christ. He does not call us servants. He calls us friends. He showed his love for us by giving us the cross and by giving us the church, his family, our family. Remember always that you have a friend. You have a family. Amen.